you're motivated day by day for different reasons. And I know maybe, maybe I mean, my wife used to say to me, why don't you get a proper job? <laughs> because you know, we were not making any money in those early days. It was very hard, uh, but we were keen. And you know, we, we only had, the goal was to succeed. How you succeed, you do that day by day. So hello folks, welcome back to the New Age podcast. Today we have the uh, legend on our podcast. We have uh, the founder of Reebok, Mr. Uh, Joe Foster. He need no introduction again because he built such a huge company worldwide. Uh, so uh, the story started when uh, Mr. Uh, Joe started this company Reebok with his brother Jeff back in 1958. Uh, today we are going to discuss uh, some of the stories which will be inspirational. And we are also going to discuss how he started such a huge uh, moment in entire UK market. So, welcome, uh, Joe Foster. Uh, Thank you for inviting me, Vikram. Very nice. That's fire away. Thank you. Ask me what yeah, you want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's start. You know, uh, from you know uh, where you started you know, in your childhood, how you started you know this uh, company. Uh, can you talk a little bit you know about uh, you know the story you know where you started and what was your inclination to start this company uh, at first place? Well, but if you've read the book, you will find that the company or the family, the family business goes back to 1895. And 1895 was when my grandfather made for himself a pair of running shoes, spike running shoes. And that was the beginning of his business, which was the J.W. Foster business. And the J.W. Foster business really is set up as a company in the year 1900. Now we had yeah. a tremendous success in Olympics, Olympic gold medals, world records. But of course, the second decade of the 20th century, between 1910 and 1920, we had World War I. And World War I really took away the opportunity to make small shoes. But in 1920, in fact, the 1920s, that was, that was my grandfather's belly pop decade. That is where he supplied so many Olympic teams, and he had so many gold medals. Uh, I don't know if you can recall the, uh, the film Chariots of Fire. The yes, Chariots of Fire was about three athletes. That was Eric Liddell, Harold Abrams, and Lord Burley. <clears throat> All three had won gold medals, and they won those gold medals in Foster's shoes. So Foster supplied so many leading athletes at that era. Now, my grandfather died quite young. In 1933, he died, he was only 53 years old. And I wasn't born until 1935. And it so happened in 1935, I was born on his birthday, which is why I am also called Joe Foster. And of course, I was only a youngster. And really, most of my Youth, I was brought up during World War II. So for six years, until I was 10 years old, um, World War II. So after that, it would be another seven years before I actually joined the family business of J.W. Foster. Then it was called J.W. Foster and Sons. <clears throat> but I only had one year in the company before both my brother Jeff and myself 
had to do two years of national service. It was compulsory in those days that we did national service and two years in the forces. <clears throat> so we both went away from the company for two years. And Jeff, he went to Germany. He saw Adidas, Puma, and a few other brands. And of course, yeah. coming, back, coming back to the UK, back to the Foster family, we came back to a company that was failing. And it was failing badly because it was still making the same shoes that they were making back in the 1930s and even probably the 1920s. <clears throat> we tried. We tried our best to persuade my father and my uncle. And my father would say, look, this is going to be your company when I'm gone and when your uncle's gone, it'll be your company. And my only reply to that was, look, this company is going to be dead long before you are. And we don't want you dead. We, we don't want you. Yeah. So what we need to do is to look after the company and, and make it grow. But unfortunately, the main reason was that my uncle and father, they used to feud with each other. They, they hardly talked to each other. And they would prefer to fight each other rather than work together. And of course, that's not conducive to a, a company being a success. And, it, and in fact, the problem was after three years, we, we Jeff and I came out of the forces uh, in 1955 and 1958, the only decision we could have was to leave the family company. In 1958, we left to set up our own sports company and we called it Mercury Sports Footwear, the word Reebok. So I put this at the top of my list and uh, took it back to the patent agent and said, look, we need this name. Yeah, all these other names are fine, but we've got to be in love with this. You know, we've got to have a passion for this name because this is going to be our business. It's our future. So he, uh, he went to the registrar with our names. And as it happens, the only one that we could have was, in fact, Reebok. All the others had some problems with trying to register them. So that's how we became Reebok, and that was the start of our, our company. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing this. You know, although you know, I've read you read your book, uh, so it was very inspirational. You, uh, 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 you know, told us very clearly you know, that I think you know when uh, you saw you know, that boom was happening in European market for Adidas and Puma, then you and you know both your brothers wanted to start you know, with. Uh, you, you wanted to take that legacy from your grandfather and then start this company. Uh, and we can see you know that book Shoes Maker. Uh, it's there in yourself, right? And I highly recommend uh, to. Uh, uh, whoever is listening or watching this, this is the must-read book. Uh, I can say you know that everyone who wants to become an entrepreneur or who wants to start any company, you know, I mean, uh, this book is uh, in inspiration. I think for today's youth, right? Especially in any sector, you know, you want to start this business. Uh, uh, Mr. Jono, uh, the second question uh, is, I want to ask, you know, you uh, if you see, I remember that my dad, he is still, you know, is a big fan of Reebok Classic, right? And in 90s. <laughs> Uh, it was like it was a revolution, I think, you know, uh, uh, Reebok was the number one company. There was no other company, I think, uh, in India also. There was no Nike, there was no uh, Adidas, but people wanted to wear these shoes, uh, the Reebok Classic, right? So can you talk about this? Uh, what was the idea behind Reebok Classic and how uh, you guys both uh, invented that thought, invented that thought process, you know, by, you know, making this uh, Reebok Classic? Well, to get to Reebok Classics, I, uh, the first thing I had to do is to try and uh, you say, develop the, the business. I, I needed to get the, the brand into America. 
Uh, in the United Kingdom, the market was quite small, uh, particularly in running and athletics. That was we we were in athletics, not in in football. Football was the big market, but by then Adidas, Puma, they had taken over that market. So in 1968, my first trip to America was to find some distribution, but it took me until 1979 uh, to get a distributor. And I had to find a way into the market. And the way into the market was through Runner's World, because in America, running was becoming a very big event. So many people were uh, out there on the roads, training, uh, taking part in 5Ks, 10Ks, the races. And Runner's World was driving that market. Everybody read Runner's World. So what Runner's World said, everybody wanted. And they started to rate shoes. And mostly the Nike were winning those sort of uh, accolades. But when they'd started doing star ratings, a five-star shoe would be at the top. And we needed to get a five-star shoe. So uh, I designed the Aztec. And the Aztec was there specially to become uh, a five-star shoe. We did get a five-star shoe from it. And that brought us into the American market. And it brought Paul Feynman there as a distributor. Now, this was the beginning of our real growth. We, and we grew in America and in, in the running category. But down in California, in Los Angeles, <clears throat> we had a technical rep. And the tech rep, Arnold Martinez, his wife was, uh, she was going to these new classes, aerobic classes. And Arnold wondered, what was that about? So he went down to see what was going on. And he, what he saw was the instructor in running shoes. Um, and he saw half the class in running shoes and the other half, no shoes at all. <clears throat> so he thought, why don't we make a special, very soft, very light, very comfortable shoes just for this, for the, for the women doing aerobics. <clears throat> Paul Feynman didn't like the idea, but Arnold, he went straight to the production people and asked them, would you produce me 200 pairs of a special lightweight shoe in nice soft leather? They did, and that was the start of tremendous growth for Reebok. And that tremendous growth was this nice soft leather shoe. <clears throat> At first it was in glove leather, which was not very good. It, uh, it ripped apart. But then the tanneries developed more of a clothing leather, something which was stronger, but still soft. <clears throat> and this was the introduction of soft leather in, in sports footwear. It hadn't been there before. And so aerobics, that really grew the company from about a $9 million company to a 900 million dollar company in about four years and out of that came tennis shoes and out of the tennis shoes came classics because classics were made of that same soft leather something that everybody could wear so it became fashion then and classics became fashion so we were not just a sports shoe but we were, we were driving the fashion of soft leather shoes and that's where your classics came from. And the classics are still here today, doing very nicely.
talking about you no know, that's classic shoes and uh, let's talk a little bit you know about you know uh, your mindset as well because it's very important to have that right mindset right to do anything so what what was your what was your mindset at that time you know where you know where uh, you were thinking you know to make this thing what kind of habit you know uh, uh, you know you were following uh, that time <clears throat> well i think the, what happened at that time is the, uh, the new the use of this soft leather uh, rebox popularity it became a question of you know, how do we keep up with the demand because the demand was terrific as i said it went from 9 million to almost a billion in about 4 years so it wasn't a question of driving the company it was a question of keeping up with demand and that in itself <clears throat> obviously that sort of demand requires a lot of money so it requires funding and it also requires the ability to find the volume because to to sort of get to that volume you need a lot of shoes so really what was happening with reebok it was a question of um growth not being not being pushed but we were being almost pulled along and uh, by the time well, we're talking in in now now the 1980s and at that time i i took on the role of developing the international distribution so i was traveling around the world i'd moved away from the production moved away from the marketing <clears throat> and it was uh, it was my role putting on all the distribution around the world and by the end of the 80s in fact the end of 1989 the the company was doing 3.5 maybe just a bit over 3.5 billion dollar revenue and by that time um for me and uh, the company had lost that uh, excitement you know when a company gets that big it it is run by lawyers it is run by legal people and accountants and it's 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 a matter really of what's on the bottom line and <clears throat> the the development side was being still being worked on in america but really for me the uh, uh, i was saying the excitement of growing a company the uh, the enjoyment of doing that i was just traveling around the world going to different places being picked up at the airport with a limousine going to the best hotels and having a meal and talking about expanding the business globally but i say it had lost its edge for me so in at the end of 1989 i retired from a permanent position in the company uh why you think of uh, that you no know, rebook was you not know, taken over by uh, adidas w- what was uh, uh, the story behind it because a lot of people have this question uh, about rebook and the current ownership of rebook well i think if if you think about it um adidas uh, <clears throat> adidas bought rebook in 2005 <clears throat> excuse me by that time i well i was well retired so it, it was not my decision at all to to do that however uh rebook had reached 4 billion just about 4 billion um but it had stagnated it wasn't growing from there i think that uh, the, those years of growth for the company it was a natural growth really rebook were not pushing that and so when, when that slowed down when it got to the point where we need to develop the company i think rebook didn't really uh develop marketing uh sufficient marketing anyway to keep the company moving and 
I, I think at that time it needed a change of management, something which could think in different ways, move in different ways. But Adidas, Adidas bought Reebok. They didn't buy it to develop Reebok. They, they bought it quite rightly. They bought it to develop Adidas. And they took um, uh, a lot of the arrangements that Reebok had and they transferred them to, uh, to Adidas. So from Adidas's point of view, that was a good buy because it helped them to advance on the American market. It helped them to grow, but it didn't do, it didn't do Reebok any good really. And uh, so Reebok, instead of growing from that point, Reebok have, uh, have lost market share in fact. And so, uh, and as we know now, Adidas are, are talking about selling, selling the brand. And they know exactly what to do, how to, they know how to grow the Reebok brand. There's no doubt. They know that because they know how to grow the Adidas brand. The only problem is it, it is in competition because they would be growing the brand on the same market. Adidas have tried to develop Reebok on fitness and, and fashion, but they haven't succeeded in, in the market growing for them. However, I think over the last two or three years, Adidas have done some smarter moves. And it's, it's about three years ago, they decided to have uh, an archive. And, and that's been good because it, it, it allows the company to gather together its history. And you can look back in the history and start redeveloping some of the models, some of the ideas. <clears throat> and the other thing is that, uh, and it seems to be when somebody buys a company, they have to change things. And they, they changed the lettering on, on, for Reebok. They changed the silhouettes on the side and they, they use the delta instead of the vector. And I think this, people, people lost contact. Well, where has Reebok gone? They lost contact with the brand. <clears throat> so <clears throat> over the last, I think it's now 18 months or so, They've changed that back. They've come back now to the original lettering, the Mototectura, which is the dropped R, and the vector. So they've done away with all these changes. And I, and I think this is making the brand more visible again. And if you want to grow a brand, you need that. You need visibility. So Adidas bought Reebok to improve the Adidas uh, market share, and it did work very well for them. And now they're looking at selling Reebok. They're looking at that. But they have only just, only in this last two or three years, started to say, work on a marketing schedule, which I think in itself will help Reebok to grow. But we'll have to see. We'll have to wait and see if they do sell it or not. Yes, yes, yeah. So, uh, you know, if you see uh, the people in India, they still love the classic Reeboks. They still want to buy, you know, uh, those, those uh, classic Reeboks. Uh, but the idea is, as you said, right, very uh, rightly, that uh, Adidas is trying to uh, enhance their market share through the branding of Reebok. But uh, so where you see the future of uh, Reebok in terms of uh, the next move for the Reebok in maybe in next decade or next uh, one to two decades? Well, I think that does depend upon whether added a cell, and it depends on who buys. At the moment, it's sounding like it could become American-owned by, I think it's a black rapper. So it could become, I mean, they call it a black company. It could become owned by blacks in America, a black team. 
And that could be very interesting. I think that could really be interesting because a lot of the promotion that Reebok is doing now, they're using rappers, they're, they're using influencers uh, who, who are black. And I think that's doing, doing the company quite good. So I don't know where it can go. It, it has a tremendous history. And there's such a lot to bring out of that history. Uh, and, I, and I think possibly in, in basketball, maybe American football, but I think basketball may be worth, worth, if it goes to America in ownership, I think that's where the growth will come from and the, the fashion for, uh, for blacks in America. I, I think it's an interesting proposition that. Yes, yeah. Uh, and uh, talking about history, as you said, right, uh, uh, the Reebok has uh, and still had, I think, you know, I mean, uh, huge impact you know in terms of uk you know uh, the country itself see started at initial point the logo of reebok it was attached to the uk flag right uh, and now you know as you said in the transitioning happening you know uh, with the logo uh, so what's your thought on that you know, the transition of reebok logo uh, from the initial stage to now well when uh, when i first got into america and i sat down with paul Feynman, we we had similar to the Vector, it's called the Vector now, but we also had the Starcrest. And the Starcrest, Paul Feynman said, this looks very much like the Union Jack. And I said, yes, it does. And Paul suggested we use the Union Jack instead of Starcrest. And the reason he, he requested that is he said, everybody in America knows the Union Jack, but we would have to spend millions, millions, to get people to know the Starcrest. So we started to use the Union Jack. <clears throat> and that was very good, really good for the brand because we had a Union Jack on each shoe, <clears throat> which I think still is on for the, uh, for the classics. And uh, we also had a, a Union Jack box. So the Union Jack was on the top of the box. <clears throat> and a lot of retailers in America use that as point of sale. They would make a pyramid out of the boxes and they would stand the shoes on, on the ledges as it went up. And it became, that became quite iconic. People loved to see that. So the Union Jack, <clears throat> yes, the Union Jack did tremendously increase the, the marketing value for Reebok. Uh, but in, in the UK, it was a bit difficult because a Union Jack on a product in the UK that was then made in Korea that causes some problems, but we, we did put labels on. And I think people understand now, we, we had to go to the Far East. That was the only way we could get the price. At that time, that was the price for the shoe. Now there's Indonesia, there's lots of places, Korea, um, uh, China, in fact, this is where the shoes are made now. And I think people, people now accept globally that um, shoes, are, shoes are made in, the, in these areas. And it takes me back to my first trip to, uh, to Korea, and that is back in 1980, uh, 1979. And uh, I was amazed at the quality that we could get at such a good price. So, I mean, this, this happens. If you want to be a global brand, you have to uh, source your product at the right price and make sure it's the right quality. But the Union Jack, when we put the Union Jack, that did help with uh, increasing sales. It increased sales around, around the globe. Uh, now, I think it's right to go back to the vector 
and use the vector. The Union Jack, I think they could cleverly use the Union Jack in places, but Adidas is German, and I don't think Adidas liked the idea of using the Union Jack. I think also with Adidas, it was a question that people think, for many years, people thought that Reebok is an American company because that's where we actually took off. So maybe there's a bit of confusion using a Union Jack and people think it's an American company. But yes, the Union Jack did well. I'm glad though now that uh, they're, they're using the vector and the original lettering that, uh, that we had way back in the 1970s, because that's the identity now for the brand and that's the silhouette we should be using. Yes, sir. Uh, so uh, if you say, you know, what is the one advice uh, you would give, you know, give to any entrepreneur who want to uh, start their business uh, in, your, in your point of view? Well, <clears throat> when Jeff and I started our business, we're talking about 1958. <laughs> this, this is well over 60 years, nearly 70 years since. <clears throat> the business was different in those days. We didn't have computers. We didn't have mobile phones. The best thing we had would be a calculator. So everything had to be done. I had to travel. Now we have this technology. We can speak across thousands of miles and we could talk about business. So for me today, it's the same as it was in 1958. Know your business, know it all the way through. Know everything about it. But the techniques are different now because it's technology. And so you've got to use the technology. But I think for anybody who wants to be a, an entrepreneur, you have to be young. You have to think that, uh, so what? We'll do it. And I, and I think you must go out there and just do what you feel. And, and if you know, you know your business and you're, you're passionate about it and you need to be passionate about it, then there's a good chance you will make it. But whether you make it right to the top, I think you must make the effort to try. Because if you don't try, you will certainly regret not following your passion and following your ideas. So the real thing is, if you feel good about it, give it a go. Right. So, you know, uh, so uh, talk about you know, uh, the entrepreneurial spirit you know, which you had in your uh, time, you know, I mean, when you were a millennial at that time. What was your thought process to starting the business? Because normally, uh, these days, you see, uh, that youth, they don't have that much inspiration or that much courage to start something at very uh, young age. So what was your story at that time to start something uh, that became a uh, huge revolution worldwide? Well, I think that uh, we have to really go back to when I was very young. And I'm part of a, a family which had a sports business, an athletic shoe business, since 1895. So growing up in the business, it, it, it was difficult growing up as a youngster to think, well, would I be part of the business? You don't do that. When, when you're just a child, just a kid, you don't, you don't even think what your future is going to be. But coming into the company and becoming part of that company, um, which have been there all my life, of course, it's in my DNA. You know, it's like the family business. And we didn't know, Jeff and I didn't know exactly how good my grandfather had built his business and until we started our own business. We didn't know that. It's only on researching back. But, uh, you know, what makes you do it? What makes you try? Well, 
we, uh, we did know that grandfather started that business way back and we did know that it should be doing better, much better, that Adidas and Puma and others, they were taking the business that should have been Jade with Foster's. And we wondered why, why our father and uncle, why had they let the business go away? What, what, what was wrong? And obviously, grandfather had a great business sense and he knew how to sell his shoes. He knew what influencers were. He would give them to Olympic athletes and giving them there, he would then be able to sell to other athletes. And in his day, you didn't sell them to people on the street. You only sold them to athletes. By the time Jeff and I were taking over and becoming interested in the company, uh, we look at Adidas, and Adidas had moved onto the street with replica shirts. That Everybody had replica football team shirts. So it was moving to become a fashion. So what was driving Jeff and myself was the fact that we could see the business was there. We, we had... Uh, we, said, we, we had a good start. We, we were in the business. We knew the athletics. We knew how to make, not, not, not in those days, the new shoes, but we knew how to make shoes. And we knew who our customers were. So I think what drove us is that both of us could see the problems. Both of us saw that my father and uncle not getting on together meant that the business would not move forward. And we, we just wanted to move forward. But it's the business that we were in, and we were young. You know, we were indestructible. You know, so what goes wrong? You, you know, you, you're doing something that uh, you've been brought up to do. And uh, so the energy was there, and the opportunity was there, largely because we could see that the business should be doing better. We couldn't convince my father, our father and uncle, we couldn't convince them. Uh, to change. So we had to make a decision. Uh, and I guess we weren't distracted by having something else to do. We, we knew that there was big, a big space in this industry for us and that all we had to do was to get on with it. And like I said, we were young. We were indestructible. So had it gone wrong, well, you know, you, you, you've done two years of national service, you know how to look after yourself. And that may have happened. But uh, we had a lot of problems. We had loads of problems. The fact that we had to change our name. And uh, initially, our, um, our silhouette, we had two stripes and a T-bar. And I think we'd been in the business for four years when Adidas wrote to us to say they thought that that infringed their three stripes. <laughs> so we had to change. But we were delighted. We were delighted because Adidas recognized that we were there. Oh, you know... We were not just that small two-man outfit. All of a sudden, you know, we had become, well, recognizable. So you're motivated day by day for different reasons. And uh, I know maybe, maybe, I mean, my wife used to say to me, why don't you get a proper job? <laughs> because, you know, we were not making any money in those early days. It was very hard. Uh, but we were keen. And, you know, we, we only had, the goal was to succeed. Uh, how you succeed, you do that day by day. Uh, but I, I think the difference from, from anybody else, what motivates, we were in the business. We were, we were very fortunate to be brought up in that business and to be able to see the opportunities that were available.
yeah you have put that very correctly we have to work on that thing day by day so uh, mr jo uh, how about this so we have a lot of audience from india right now so if you see if someone uh, want to start company like reebok again in indian market right what it takes you know if you see for now we have a huge population as you know india have we have huge population and indian you know as per the indian economy concern we need lot of companies right lot of companies and lot of people right uh, like you i mean who had you know, the same mindset to build this kind of company right so what's your suggestion uh, in this in this matter well i think the today we have the computer you you can look there is so much advice uh, you, know, you look on anything on instagram or whatever you want to look on social media and there is so much advice you can read it everywhere everybody will tell you what to do but the only advice as far as i'm concerned is what you feel yourself if you feel the business if you've got some influence and that's very important you need to know how to influence your uh, your customer if you can do that and you've got all the means right now you have a computer and you have all the social media so this is this is the place to go and and i i think as far as uh, you know how do you finance how how do you do all the technical things there is so much advice and it's today's advice you need to do, go through that the technical way of opening a business but nothing can stop just sheer hard work you've got to work hard at it it won't come knocking on your door you have to get out there you have to push but you also have to you know when i used to in my early days selling Reebok I'm not a salesman I'm not a good salesman at all you know there are some natural salesmen out there and they could sell anything I couldn't but I could sell Reebok because I knew my product I knew the brand I knew everybody else's competitive product I knew it so if anybody said but this is this this I I I could answer that I'm not a worldly salesman but I I could do it. so you must know your product and I used to go into retailers and say i'm reebok and these are my products and a lot would say why do i need reebok i've got adidas i've got dunlop why do i need reebok and that that asked me a question why and that was something that i had to think why because the the retailer he obviously wasn't my my customer my customer was the athlete the people who wore the shoe so you've got to work out recognize the way you get to your customer even if it's through the retailer but you've still got to market to your customer so you you learn lessons as 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 you go along and uh, and i think anybody wanting uh, to do or set up a company in india his market has got to be local there are a lot of people in india a lot of people and that's a good local market you know there were not that many, we had probably about 50 million people in the UK when we started or less than that maybe 40 but not all of them would be runners not all were athletes so it's that's why i had to go to america but in america they spoke english europe europe was full of lots of small small countries it's a, it's a big big area well, it's not a big area but there's a lot of people in europe but they they all have different cultures and they speak different languages 
So it was difficult to get in. India, I would imagine somebody starting up in India has a tremendous market there. But you've got to say, do you start out an athletic shoe company in India? I don't know. What is the market? You'd have to study your own market. Uh, I know, I know we, uh, we did develop and, start, and sell into India. In fact, when I started selling to India, you used to have a, part, a partner who was an Indian uh, who, who lived in India. It's part of, you had to have a partner. You couldn't just go in as a company and set up. You had to have, and I think it was the uh, ooh, Armitage, I think it was, um, and VJ. VJ Armitage and what was the other one? They, it was the Armitage brothers. They were tennis players. They were Indian tennis players. Yeah. And, uh, yes, yes. and they partnered with us at first to get into the Indian market. But I mean, somebody in India setting up on their own, yeah. know your market and whatever you do. But if you want to be global, then you have to take different steps. Yeah, I don't think really I started with the idea of being global, but I guess going to America, that was the beginning. And of course, once, once you get into the American market, and, and the American market is still the most influential market in the world, it's the biggest. And uh, I think in, in my day, that was followed by Japan. That was then the second biggest uh, influential market in the world. So setting up a business, it, it's all got to be yourself. You've got to have the drive, the energy. Um, if you want information, it's here on, on the computer. You know, there are so many people now that will give you advice. You, you only need to, to read it or, or open up any of your Instagram. And there's so much advice from the founder, from all these different people. And yeah, it, it really is logical. You've got to be dedicated. Yes, yeah. Uh, and normally, and I ask the question at the end of the podcast. And uh, uh, but I think for you, I mean, you already had you know uh, made a lot of impact worldwide, right? Uh, through your company, through your work. Uh, but still, uh, uh, what kind of uh, uh, impact uh, do you, you know? Do you think that people should be making if they are starting the company? What kind of mindset, uh, or I can say, the impact they want to make along with the company? It's not just profit. But they also want to change someone's life, right? In terms of maybe contributing or in terms of you know maybe helping some communities. So, what's your take on this? I think that when you when you start up a company, it's it, it is a question of how do you make it successful, and when you make it successful, it, it does contribute to to the world. You bring something different. You bring uh, changes. Uh, with Reebok, uh, well, most Adidas did a lot of changes to sports footwear and, and this improves the community and it it's putting back putting money back into your community it's a natural way of marketing but it also helps the community uh, you know, we know that uh, in our early days just giving some shoes to top athletes was enough or, or even to influencers uh, in the film industry we you know we gave shoes to people and uh, if you see if you see a, a, a leading personality in in Reebok shoes, it influences and that influences this fashion market. Um, how it gives back to the community, it, it's, it's a difficult one because it depends what you, what you're into, what, what is your business, and can it does it give uh, 
does sports football give anything back to the community? I don't know. But if you if you have a business um, like Microsoft and you get as big as Bill Gates, then you, you set up your own uh, way of giving back. With Reebok, um, we, we did have, uh, uh, I don't know what I used to call it now, but we, we, we did set up a community there to, to give back. And, and I think we did have quite a lot in India that we were given to and uh, where, where you, you try to improve local manufacturing, a lot of facilities, because to get a low price, certainly uh, people are not paid that well. So it's try to improve, try to balance things. And uh, I think right now, one of the things you can see is a lot of people, it's fur trading. They, they try to get a fur trading situation. And the bigger you are, the more influence you could have on that. But as a small company growing, the most important thing for your company is just growth. And if you can get growth and you can get sufficient growth, you, you can then look to, uh, to bring things back to the community. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mr. Joe, for uh, being on my podcast. Uh, this is 20, uh, 2021, and uh, we are very fortunate to... Uh, you know be uh, here on our podcast thank you so much again for some of the advice that you have given right now which uh, we can take and our audience can take and implement in the real life and again i want to uh, encourage everyone to read uh, mr joe foster book the shoes maker it's available i think on every platform on amazon on in india we have flipkart it's available everywhere so you can go and read this book and do let us know your review of the book or your thought of the book uh, by tagging uh, Mr. Joe Foster on his Instagram, uh, uh, your thought and comment. Thank you so much again, Mr. Joe. Thank you. For, uh, for being Thank you, Vicar. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.